0: This podcast is sponsored by 10 of those. If you're at the recent T4G conference, you probably went to the bookstore. It was run by 10ofthose.com. They want to serve the local church by bringing the best books from across the publishers at super low prices to conferences and churches across America. So if you're involved in running a conference or perhaps you have a women's retreat coming up or a church anniversary weekend, invite 10ofthose.com to provide a pop-up bookstore. There is no charge for them to come. They'll recommend resources and serve you really well, taking care of all the stock, the cash register, sales tax, et cetera. And they come for conferences and churches of 300 people or more. They can also help you if you're doing things online. They can provide you with a customized online bookstore for your church, and there's no charge for that either. Email their team to get your bookstore set up. That's sales.us at 10 Sales.us at 10
1: Baptist 21 is a pastor-led voice for Southern Baptists in the 21st century. The B21 podcast will discuss current issues in the SBC with Southern Baptist church leaders. To check out more resources, visit us at Baptist21.com.
0: Welcome to the Baptist 21 podcast, where we have conversations about what it means to be Baptist in the 21st century. And today we're going to talk about something that's very Baptist. We're going to talk about pastoring, talk about shepherding the flock, uh, talk about qualifications and the character of a pastor. Uh, And we have a return guest today. He was a guest with somebody else a few weeks back. Uh, But we have Andrew A. Bear, pastor of Paramount Baptist in Amarillo, Texas. Andrew, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Nate, thanks for having me. It's good to see you. And you have written a book. We want to talk some about that. Uh, again, a needed book, a needed conversation. But I still want to start since when we had the, the past uh, podcast, we had to do kind of jump right into the meat of what we were talking about. So we want to do some questions to get to know you a little bit. So maybe tell us just briefly kind of how you came to know the Lord, how you got called into vocational ministry and how you got to Amarillo
1: yeah uh i was raised by christian parents um first generation believers who um came to know the lord uh, both of them did uh, as adults and so um they were kind of figuring out what does it mean to follow jesus and what does it mean to parent uh kids in a godly way um with with all of us so i'm one of seven kids had a big family um and by the time i came along i'm right in the middle Uh, my dad was uh, a bivocational music minister at that point so he'd been following the lord for a little while had actually kind of gotten involved in ministry um, at some level um, while he worked in the oil field in Houston, Texas. And uh, so I was around the church a lot. Some of my earliest memories are with my pastor and my dad um, knocking on doors uh, in our, like in neighborhoods and inviting people to church. Our our church was a Southern Baptist church plant um, that met in a storefront. And I just remember being around the church a lot, hearing the gospel a lot. Um, But it wasn't until I was 12 years old that I The gospel became real to me in a different way. Um, July 27th, 1999 at a Christian summer camp in Ruston, Louisiana. Um, I just heard the gospel um, as if it was for the first time and um, and just sensed the Lord drawing me to himself. And so I responded in repentance and faith and uh, put my trust in christ then and everything began to change um from that from that moment even though i was only 12 i hadn't had like a, you know decades of of sin and misery um that i was saved out of there was still a noticeable change uh yeah. in my life that, that uh i began to see as as the sanctification process uh started to get to work that same week um i think that was a monday or tuesday night of camp that same week it was actually an independent Baptist camp. It was pretty popular in those days. I'm guessing it probably still is to do like an, ex, uh, extend a call to vocational ministry towards the end of the week. And so that happened. And Nate, honestly, that was just the natural next step in my mind. Like logically, if I belong to Jesus now, why wouldn't I want to serve him full time with everything that I have and everything that I am. So actually later that same week, I just responded to that call to ministry and since, um, a call that has never been lifted from my life, um, mm. in all of these years since. So I had no idea what that meant at the time. I mean, in terms of, mm. you know, what do you, what do you do, you know, in vocational ministry, all I knew is like, I've, I've given everything to Jesus. I want to serve him, mm. but what does that mean? And so, um, over the next few years, I just started getting plugged in to our local church. I had an assistant pastor in our church who, who, um, uh, kind of mentored me, uh, through junior high and high school. Um, I mean, I remember at 14, for instance, it, it, again, we, we kind of stepped away from the Southern Baptist Church plant, plant for a period of time. We were in an independent Baptist church and like a really independent Baptist church, like the King James only, you know, uh, sort of fundamentalist independent Baptist church. Um, so we did a lot of things that, um, you know, are, are somewhat old school. So like at 14 Sunday nights, we went cold turkey door to door sharing the gospel. Um, that's how I learned to share my faith. Um, started taking mission trips at age 15 and then uh, just caught God's heart for the nations and started taking every mission trip I could. So by the time I graduated from high school, I'd been to almost 20 countries wow. and uh, really thought that I was going to be a, a, a missionary overseas. When I went to college, that was kind of what I intended to do. I was going to go to Bible college, get a bachelor's degree, move to the Philippines, and spend the rest of my life, um, you know, okay. basically. Uh, as a missionary that nobody would ever have heard about. Um, I went to Criswell College in Dallas Mm. and started serving on staff. um, My freshman year, I started serving on staff of a a Southern Baptist church plant. And uh, before long, I ended up uh, serving with a a senior, kind of a senior adult pastor who was planting this church. He was about 68 years old. He was physically blind, Mm. um, which was really interesting to watch him serve in that way. But he started giving me opportunities to preach, and to do a lot of pastoral things, even though I was just the assistant pastor. Mm. And so the Lord really used that in my life to clarify a calling. Um, and in some ways the Lord has never released me from that missionary calling. I mean, in, in a sense, I very much feel called to the mission. Um, but he began to clarify that my role in the mission, at least for this, at this time is as a pastor, um, okay. that, that how he would use me is, um, to shepherd people, um, to help, uh, raise money. Um, for missionaries mobilize, uh, church members to, to live on mission and go overseas as missionaries. And so that's kind of how that missionary call has played out in my life, uh, over the last, uh, 17 or 18 years. So, so yeah, I started pastoring a church, met my wife in college. Um, she had been a volleyball player at Texas A&M and, uh, ended up transferring to Crystal college, which is where I was a student and we met and married, um, still doing ministry there in college and, uh, started having children. We've got four of them. Mm. Um, so our house is very full and, uh, yeah, uh, pastored and served in, uh, North Texas and East Texas for a while. Um, then went to New Mexico and pastored in New Mexico for about five years. And then I've been here in West Texas, uh, for coming up on six years.
0: That's great. That's great. So normally to get to know uh, guys, we ask, uh, uh, you know, some quick questions, kind of think family feud. I'll ask the question to answer as quick as you can uh, just to get to know you a little bit. So you ready to go? Ready. All right.
1: Favorite book. That's not the Bible. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. That's great. That's a good one. Favorite athlete of all time. Nolan Ryan. Man,
0: what a good pick We were living in Dallas when the whole robin Ventura attacking uh, the old man who got got in and Nolan beat him up was awesome um so you said your wife played volleyball at at a m are you an a m person who's your college team uh University of Texas I'm the black sheep of her family yeah, you guys are riding high right now with the r spanning uh I'm pretty excited about it yeah i'm I, as a georgia fan, I'm still holding out hope that he's gonna he's gonna withdraw that uh, commitment um <laughs> Favorite food. Texas got good food. Favorite food.
1: Ooh. Um, I I love everything. Um, The weirder it is, the better. But if I just had a standard go-to, I would say probably Mexican food. I could eat that every day. Me too.
0: What's the weirdest thing you've
1: eaten on the mission field? Ooh. Um, Chicken intestine. Yikes. Yeah, that does sound weird. It, uh, it was as, it was as weird and gross as, as you would think. That was like,
0: yeah. All right. Last question.
1: Uh, do you remember the text for the sermon you preached for the first time on a Sunday morning? Ooh, that's another good question. Yes. Jeremiah chapter one oh, on wow. the calling of Jeremiah. Appreciate uh, it. 15 years How old, old. You're 15. 15. Yeah, man. That's great. Is there still video or audio of that? I sure hope not. Uh, <laughs> I don't think there is. I, I really hope there's not. Everybody, everybody that
0: asks that question usually says no. They hope not. I remember my first sermon ever. I prayed at the end, and I was trying to pray, "Lord, use my errant words." But I prayed, "Lord, use my inerrant words." So I <laughs> immediately uh, affirmed my sermon as inerrant, uh, as, uh, as the scripture <laughs> so the, the her- heresy from the from the jump.
1: So that says something uh, about your upbringing that that word would even be in your vocabulary. So that's a good thing.
0: <laughs> All right, let's talk about the book. So the book is called Shepherding Like Jesus. It'll be B and H Publishing. Uh, shepherding Like Jesus, Returning to the Wild Idea that Character Matters in Ministry. Give us a brief snapshot of what the book is about and why you wrote it.
1: Yeah. Um, so the, the subtitle typically of a book, it, it kind of tells you the, the the basic idea. It is on the importance of character in ministry. Um, I wrote this in 2020, um, just at the onset of the, the pandemic. I had actually I'd been working through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, memorizing it with my wife. Hmm. And... Um, just begin to think and reflect about the Beatitudes in particular, which is a kind of a table of contents, if you will, for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So I think actually, if you, if you understand what the Beatitudes are doing and how they're functioning in the Sermon on the Mount, it, it really helps you understand how the whole sermon is put together. Um, but but I, I, as I was thinking about that text, um, at the very beginning, before Jesus starts preaching, Matthew tells us that he sees the crowd. He actually withdraws from the crowd, calls his disciples to himself and begins to teach them. And then you have the Sermon on the Mount. And so that little insight right there was something I'd never really noticed or paid attention to before. I've always imagined the Sermon on the Mount being preached to 5,000 people, you know, on the side of a mountain. But actually, this is preached to the 12, um, which means if we have anything like a sermon to leaders, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And as I began to think about the sermon in that way, and particularly with the Beatitudes, I began to think of how Jesus is describing the character of those who follow him. Mm. And it just struck me what a big contrast those things are from how we typically talk about what a pastor needs to be and do. Mm. Um, I mean, Nate, I, I, I know, you know, this, but there are so many expectations for what it means to be a pastor these days. I mean, you, you have to be a gifted communicator, um, helps if you have a charismatic, charismatic, uh, personality, um, you know, you have to, in some churches, you have to have the skills of a CEO. Um, You you may need the acumen of a real estate uh, wheeler dealer. I mean, there's so many pressures and expectations for what it means to be a good pastor. Mm -hmm. And Jesus doesn't talk about any of those things in the ways that we talk about them. Um, Instead, he focuses on character, right? Uh, uh, That you need to be poor in spirit. You need to be somebody who mourns um, over your sin. You need to be somebody who's humble. Um, somebody who's hungering and thirsting for righteousness, a person of mercy and so on and so forth. And so I really just wrote this as an application of the Beatitudes to pastoral life and work. What would it look like to reflect the Beatitudes as a pastor? And how might that contrast with kind of the typical ways of thinking about what it means to be a successful pastor in sort of this modern American way of doing church?
0: And you did a unique thing uh, where at each chapter, you have kind of a a different pastor, write A pastoral reflection um, at the end of each chapter. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I thought it would be um, just a fun element, a little different element to the book to ask some pastors I I know and trust, um, just to write a reflection on the theme of each chapter. So I just, uh, I asked a few pastors that I think... uh, the listeners probably would recognize, you know, a, a Clint Presley, a Juan Sanchez, Robert Smith Jr., a few others, Mac Brunson, uh, Hans Stillbeck. These are guys who have done pastoral ministry for the long haul. Um, some of them have have already retired and they've finished well, and they bring a really valuable perspective um, to the role, the importance of character in in ministry.
0: I love that. If I ever write a book, which Nobody would ever buy. Uh, I would, I think that's a great idea. I I love that. Uh, definitely some names in there that people would know, uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, audience for the book. I mean, again, this is, this is a unique thing, but I would imagine it's not just written to pastors, but talk through audience of the
1: book. Yeah, it's really for pastors and other Christian leaders. So if you have a church staff, this would be great, uh, to go through, uh, you know, in a staff meeting with, with staff members, um, I think it, it has a lot of applicability to any believer, actually, um, because I'm just, you know, I'm fleshing out the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but I think your seminary students who are preparing for ministry, um, you know, Nate, I would imagine, I, I think we're probably fairly similar in age. And a lot of our sort of ministry heroes that that we were looking up to at the time when we were seminary, most of them have, have you know, burned out uh, or dropped out or, or had a moral failing. Um, you know, the guy that I think was kind of all the rage in my college years was Mark Driscoll. And, mm-hmm. you know, most, m- most people have heard, you know, the rise and fall of Mars Hill and kind of seen what happened there. And so I'm, I did write with a seminary student in mind, who's aspiring to ministry, just hoping to encourage him kind of as an older brother, um, who's a little bit further down the road, just to say, look, make sure you're chasing after the, the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're chasing after platform, um, likes and retweets, uh, notoriety. If you think that you're going to succeed in ministry because you can communicate in a dynamic way, um, you know, you're you're setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment, a lot of failure. And so I'm hoping to kind of redirect um, some of the things that they value and strive for. So I think seminary students, church staff, pastors, other Christian leaders are really who I had in mind. Yeah,
0: a good reminder. You've You've hit around some of these, but I want to ask this as a specific question, because you know, every era of the church has challenges and and some that may be unique to that era and then some that are just common uh, beyond the you know, different uh, eras and so forth. But what do you think, particularly in our culture, 2022 America, what are some of the unique challenges and temptations to pastors? Um, and then maybe on the back end, what should be the purpose, goal and aim of, of the pastor? So uh, think first, talk to some of the unique idols, temptations, challenges of the current culture, and then. What should we be striving toward? Again, you've talked a little bit about oftentimes we're striving towards end goals that actually aren't very biblical in and of themselves. Uh, and so talk us through a couple of those things. Well,
1: I think some of the common temptations that are out there, are, you know, the first one that comes to my mind is fame, um, just notoriety. Uh, we are in a unique profession uh, in in and calling in that we stand in front of a lot of people and we claim to speak for God. Um, and that, that brings certain temptations, uh, that come with it. You know, if you preach a great sermon and people come up to you afterwards and they're like, that, that blew my mind, you know, that can really puff you up with pride. Um, if you, if you get the opportunity to preach at camps or conferences or, um, you know, invited around the country or whatever, people know who you are. They've heard you preach. They, they come up to you afterwards and want to take a picture with you, all those types of things like that's, that's just an inherent temptation and danger, I think. Um, for us to be in ministry for self-glory, yeah, um I think finances uh, it, it, that's always a temptation. Peter, addressed that. You know that we are not we are not shepherding out of a a, a greedy motive. Um, so I think that's always going to be a temptation. I think infidelity um, is a huge temptation. I mean, we're seeing that with, you know, reports of sex abuse and pastors who have moral failings in a very public way. Um, that's always a temptation. um. So those are. I think those would probably be the top three. I, I think if I had to just narrow it to to three, I would say fame, uh, finances, and infidelity
0: seem to be the, the the common, at least when as we see people fall. Uh, and again, has been all too common lately. Those some of those are the thread. I'd love for you to talk about this because what seems to be very common in almost all of those scenarios, uh, and I don't know if you address this much in the book or not. Um, uh, but in almost all those scenarios, it seems to be there, there ended up being, whether it was from like this from the beginning or not, a lack of accountability, a lack of actually having either fellow pastors, elders that you were accountable to, or other Christians who could, could say, hey, look, like you're, something's happening here and you need to like be on guard. So talk through that a little bit, just the importance of, of accountability when it comes to these unique temptations and idols that pastors might face. This podcast is sponsored by 10 of those. If you're at the recent T4G conference, you probably went to the bookstore. It was run by 10ofthose.com. They want to serve the local church by bringing the best books from across the publishers at super low prices to conferences and churches across America. So if you're involved in running a conference or perhaps you have a women's retreat coming up or a church anniversary weekend, invite 10ofthose.com to provide a pop-up bookstore. There is no charge for them to come. They'll recommend resources and serve you really well, taking care of all the stock, the cash register, sales tax, etc. And they come for conferences and churches of 300 people or more. They can also help you if you're doing things online. They can provide you with a customized online bookstore for your church, and there's no charge for that either. Email their team to get your bookstore set up. That's sales.us at 10 Sales.us at 10
1: Yeah. And I think actually, if you think about what we are doing, right, as under shepherds, as representatives of Jesus in a flock of people, it does kind of tend to to elevate we can elevate ourselves in our own mind. Right. And so we're above others, or if I'm speaking for God, then I'm kind of separate from the flock. So you're, you're exactly right. Um, that is a, uh, that's a real temptation to, um, to avoid accountability. And <clears throat> I think in all of the situations where we've seen public moral failing here in recent years, if you kind of look under the hood, there were certain measures of accountability that were lacking. Um, So we just need to remember that we are, we are shepherds, but we're also sheep, Mm. right? Jesus is the chief shepherd. Um, We are members of the flock. There's a reason that our, my church members don't call me father. Um, I'm a brother. And as a brother, I am susceptible to the same kinds of temptations as any member of my flock. Uh, Theologically, we have a category for this, right? Total depravity. If, if we are all um, sinful, then we need to put measurements for accountability into place. And that's, I think, even more important for a leader. Um, As soon as you become a leader in some way, whether it's a husband or a father or a pastor, Satan puts a target on on your back. I mean, Satan, I tell this to guys all the time. Satan hates you. Mm. He wants to destroy you. He hates your family. He hates your marriage. He hates your life. He hates your ministry. He's going to do everything he can to take you down. You just have a target on your back. And when you wake up in the morning, you just need to recognize like Satan's already been up like by the time he's he's (laughs) he's been up and been he's been crafty and he's been working to try to find those weaknesses in your life to exploit them. And so we have to put up protective measures. Um, We have to to be have really good defensive walls in our life and our marriages and our ministries. But we also have to invite people in for transparency and for accountability. For me, that happens in layers. You know, so my wife is the most important accountability partner that I've got. She's got access to all of my devices. She can look through my text messages or my phone anytime she wants. Um, that that's a a layer, like the first closest layer. Um, there's a layer within within my church so that we have a formal way of uh, of account, you know of members of our church being able to hold me accountable, being able to ask me questions, being able to assess where I'm at. Um, I've got friends. Um, and mentors who are invited to ask hard questions and follow-up questions. Um, I've got one mentor. Every time we have a conversation, he's going to ask me to rate my marriage, the health of my marriage on a scale of one to 10. And then he's going to ask me to tell him why I gave the number I did. And that's always an uncomfortable question, but that's really important in my life. And yeah. so these are, you know, accountability and transparency. It's it's really about um, ensuring the credibility of your ministry and making sure that you run the race faithfully all the way through the finish line.
0: I, years ago, I, I very much uh, appreciate you talking about how as shepherds also sheep too. I am um, years ago was being interviewed for a position at a church that was elder rule. And I asked the question. So as I asked about congregational, and he said, I remember, I never forgot. The pastor said, we don't let the sheep make any decisions. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, you you know, you're a you're a sheep too. Yeah, you know, you're obviously a more mature sheep, but you're a sheep too. So I I very much appreciate that. I, again, I I definitely think even just that first the poor in spirit, like just the idea of humility. Again, I I don't think it's not an accident, despite what some popular teachers might say that that shepherd is the imagery used to to talk about this this office um, and the need for kind of just nitty gritty humble even messy work that sometimes comes along with this.
1: Yeah. I write about this, um, in, in the book, but DA Carson says that to be poor in spirit, um, it means a recognition of your own spiritual bankruptcy, mm. which is such a powerful image, right? I don't have the resources in and of myself for life, for salvation, for ministry. Um, How many of pastors think of ourselves that way? Like we are supposed to be the guy who has it all together, who has what it takes, who has the leadership competencies and the knowledge and the skill and the resources. Jesus says, actually, the the pathway to blessing begins with a recognition. You don't have what it takes. You are spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. So I think if we have that self view, it allows us to say, no, we actually need accountability. Accountability is good for the health of my soul and the long term health of my ministry.
0: It's so good. I think it's so neat. I mean, I, you know, sometimes people ask uh, and you, we get all of us who have been around to see guys who have had balls, like obviously it's heartbreaking. And you always ask the question, was that, did they start off like this or did it happen over time? And I think almost always it happened over time. It happened over time of beginning to believe their own high press clippings, again, removing themselves from any sense of accountability. Uh, and, and, and at some point the posture shifts from humble, contrite to a more, you know, well, I deserve this. I, of course, look what the, the Lord's blessing the ministry and so forth. And so, I think having people, it's fun to have brothers who just will tell you, like actually biological brothers who will tell me, like, no, Nathan, that's stupid. <laughs> you know, like it, it, we need that with we need that with pastor brothers and and other Christians as well, and obviously our spouses, uh, just to say, no, that's silly. Don't don't think of yourself in that way.
1: Um, yeah, and can I can I add another unique danger uh, that that I think is is present at this time? two and a half years after the onset of COVID. Um, I think this is always a clear and present danger, but I think especially I'm seeing this a lot and that is fatigue. Mm-hmm. Uh, because actually a, a lot of, you're right. A lot of guys don't wake up and just decide they're going to have an affair. Yeah. Like it is a slow fade. Um, but oftentimes it begins with just being worn out, burned out, yeah. tired, not taking care of your, yourself, right? Either physically, emotionally, spiritually, um, relationally. And you're, you're exhausted. Um, You're fatigued, you're burned out. You're not Sabbathing. And I, I write this in the book, that fatigue is actually a gateway drug um, to other, to other sins. And so you're right. I think if you, yeah, if you look at some of the guys who have fallen, it's not like they just decided that they're going to do that. I think a lot of times, it, um, those things happen before you realize they're happening because you're just so worn out from serving and pouring out that you just don't realize what you're doing uh, is stupid and that's why <laughs> right that's why you need the the, the the either literal brothers or figurative brothers who can come in and say, hey, what you're doing is dumb. like take a day off, um, yeah, yeah. nourish the health of your soul, cultivate your spirituality, um, invest in your marriage. We have to have those people who we've given permission uh to speak into our life in those ways and i, I tell our leadership our, our lay leadership structure at our church i'm just like please you will be hurting me um to not be honest with me about this if you see me making a mistake please love me enough to tell me that that's good
0: that's really good you gotta welcome that in it, it's so true that, that our people need from us uh, our personal holiness again the the qualifications for an elder are so unique in the sense that almost all of them are character driven there's a few that are competency driven but uh the the ability to handle the word and so forth but it's so driven by character and so this need for qualified shepherds uh in there just any final thoughts uh obviously you can pick up the book on amazon as H publishing uh the book came out march is that right that's right march first the, the book's been out a couple months um but check out the book. But any final thoughts and encouragement, exhortation, particularly for seminary students listening, young pastors, and even just more seasoned pastors?
1: Yeah, I'd say two things. Um, uh, first of all, is just to realize um, in seminary, our our curriculum is often focused on <clears throat> competency. Yeah. Um, so you got to know Greek and Hebrew and be theologically prepared and be capable of of constructing sermons and things of that nature. Very, very little of it, unfortunately, is focused on cultivating virtue. Um, but what I want to, what I would encourage a seminary student to think about is if if you're the best preacher known to man, but you have, but the integrity's not there, the character's not, eventually that will find you out and it will undercut, um, the credibility of your ministry. So like, even as we think about preaching, oftentimes we think about logos, pathos and ethos seminaries often focus on logos. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the more pragmatic sort of leadership stuff out there is fo- focused on pathos, but if you don't have ethos, it's going to mm-hmm. undercut the other two. Um, and so I just would encourage you to think about the, the importance of this, like cultivating your character, nourishing your soul, leading from a, from a healthy soul is the most important thing, you know, reflecting the character of Christ. And the second thing yeah, I would yeah. say is this, and, and this yeah. would be the last, the last thing I would say is just for the pastor who might pick up this book, what I hope that this book will do is not add another burden to your life. Um, Because I think it can, you can, you can think, oh man, I don't want to read a book about character. It's just going to show me where I'm not at, what I should be, but I'm not. I'm going to feel like a failure. And I just want you to know the heart behind the book. And I think if you read the book, you'll see this is meant to encourage your heart and actually show how Jesus supplies the character we need. This is not something you drum up in yourself. Actually, we hunger and thirst for the righteousness that he fills us with. Mm-hmm. And this is a very, I hope a gospel saturated grace dripping kind of book. Mm-hmm. And the goal is actually not to place another burden on your life and ministry, but actually to relieve you of some burdens that you may be feeling that you don't need to be feeling at all of the pressures externally for you to be or do pastoring in a certain way that, that actually you won't find in scripture. So I actually hope that if you read this book, that you'll find it to be a balm for your soul. Yeah, more
0: devotional and meditational. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Um, is, I, I can't remember who said it to me, but years ago, I heard a pastor say, you know, that love and, and holiness can actually make up for deficiencies when it comes to gifting. Uh, right. Your people are going to be, you know, they're if they love that, they, they know you love them and they know you're a man of integrity. You may not be the most dynamic preacher. They're still going to love you uh, because of the kind of man you are, which again, seems to come right out of the pages of the Bible. Um, hey, thank you for this work. I do think, again, it, it, I think if pastors will see this as devotional and and, and a helpful thing to just be an encouragement about, about these Beatitudes. Um, the I think it'd be
1: really helpful. Thanks for writing the book. We do pray that it will uh, certainly help pastors flourish. And brother, thanks for being on the podcast. Nate, appreciate it. Appreciate this podcast and, and the great work you do. Always good talking to you, brother. Thanks for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at our website, Baptist21.com. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. It would really help us out. If you ever have thoughts or ideas for future interviews, please reach out to us at our email, babbis21 at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast.